All right, we are today in part three of a series called Encounter Jesus. In this series, what we're doing is we are encountering Jesus and some of the encounters that people had with him and how those encounters have radically changed their lives. And we're looking to see how those encounters can change our lives as well. So in the series, we're looking at five encounters. And today, we're going to look at an interaction that thousands of people had in one, at one time with Jesus, and yet only a few people ever really encountered him. We'll be in John chapter 6, if you want to follow along in your Bible, or if you want to follow along in your Bible app. If you need a Bible app for your smartphone, then I recommend you download the version Bible app, spelled Y-O-U version, and look up the New Living Translation. That's a translation we use here, and translation I recommend people use as they start reading the Bible. So John chapter 6, starting at verse 2, it says this, a huge crowd kept following him, meaning Jesus, wherever he went, because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, one of his disciples, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Then verse six tells us he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Now, out of curiosity, how many of you, besides teachers that we have in our crowd on campus or maybe even online, how many of you like tests? Anybody like tests? Anybody? No, this is going to sound weird, but I, I love tests. I love, you're snickering. I love tests for you. I really like it. When God stretches your faith and puts something challenging in your life and, and you come to me or another one of our staff members and you say, I'm not sure what I'm going to do here. And I'm like, this is great. God is going to use this to grow you in significant ways. I'm so excited for you. I'm praying for you because I love tests that God gives you. I don't love tests that God gives me. When God gives it, it, me a test, there's moments I freak out, I panic, I do all kinds of weird things because I just don't love tests. But the reality is, God tests all of us. We're always being tested. Like, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I am sure there's a test involved in, in what you're going through right now. And the question is, how will we respond when we're being tested? Will we complain that our test isn't fair? Will we try to pass our test in ways that may not be all that above board or, or may not be the way that we know we should try to pass that test? Or will we turn to God for help? when we're faced with a test that we're not sure how to pass. Here's the really cool thing about God is not only is he the test giver, he is our test tutor. Amen. So not only does he allow tests and give tests, but he comes alongside of us and says, hey, do you want help with that test? God, I'll help you. Like, I'm giving it or I'm allowing it, but I'll help you take steps as you walk through this test so that you can pass this test. Do you want my help? Now, my, my problem is too many times I don't ask God for his help or I ask God for his help after I've driven my life into a ditch and then like, okay, that didn't work. And then, okay, God, now I need your help. But again, God makes himself available to help us through every test that we face. I have this uh, funny story that takes me back to high school. So when I was in high school, my senior year, I was in Spanish. Anybody else take Spanish? 
Ablas, something. That's about all I got. It's all I can remember. So I uh, had two years of Spanish in my senior year. So we had this, this teacher who was retiring. I think she had taught like 50 years or something and she needed to retire. She was gonna retire that year. And at the end, we had an opportunity to uh, take the final exam or do a project for the final exam. I didn't wanna do the project because there was a lot of work involved in the project. So me and a few other friends said, let's try to take the final exam. It's a little scary. I'm so glad we did. Because we sat in the class, just a few of us. And when we didn't understand, we said, uh, excuse me, teacher, can you, you help explain this? And she would, and she would give us the answer. And I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. I'm so glad I did not do that project. So God is a whole lot like that. Not that he needs to retire, because he doesn't. But God's a whole lot like that. He gives the test, and he helps us through the test. But we have to reach out to him for the help that we need when we're being tested. Verse seven tells us what Philip did during his test. Philip says, Jesus, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. Like that's just not possible. In verse eight, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up and he said, Jesus, hey, there's this young boy here with five loaves and, and two fish. And then I think he thought about what he just said and said, ah, but what good is that with this huge crowd? So Philip complains, Jesus, this test is unpassable. Like, I can't pass this test. Nobody can pass this test. And Andrew says, like, like hey, like, Jesus, if I steal this little kid's lunch, like, maybe? Maybe would that help us pass this test? Verse 10, and Jesus helps Philip and Andrew with their test. He says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000 people. So what that meant was, with women and children involved, there could have been at least 10, 15, 20,000 people sitting around Jesus in that moment. Verse 11 says, then Jesus took the loaves from this little boy, his lunch, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Now, we are not sure why Jesus asked them to pick up the leftovers or what they did with the leftovers. But Jesus fed thousands of people and had leftovers. It would not surprise me if he gave those leftovers to the little boy who had his lunch stolen that day. Like I can just see Jesus calling the little guy over and saying like, buddy, I'm so proud of you. I'm so sorry for Andrew. He shouldn't have taken your lunch but I'm glad you gave up your lunch. Now, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go home and tell your mom dinner's on me for the next several nights, okay? Tell her to expect a delivery from DoorDash about six o'clock, okay? So go, go tell her that. Again, we don't know what Jesus did with the leftovers, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did something like that. Verse 14 tells us that when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we've been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. 
Now, you might read that and, and wonder, well, why would he slip away? Didn't he come to be their king? He did, but not that kind of king. See, they wanted him to be their earthly king. They wanted him to free them from the oppression from the Romans. And after this, I'm sure they wanted him to give them fast food every day for the rest of their lives. But that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to be the earthly king. He came to be their eternal king. He came to do something way more significant than that encounter of feeding 5,000 plus people in that moment. He came to free them from their slavery to sin and make it possible for them to live forever in eternity with him through a real relationship with him based on what he was going to do on the cross for them. But a sad reality for too many of them and too many of us is that we just want Jesus to be our earthly king. Even if you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've made him your eternal king, it can be so tempting for us to make Jesus our earthly king or try to force him to be our earthly king. I don't know if you do that, but I do that at times. Sometimes I would like Jesus to be my genie in a bottle. You know, when I come up on a test in, in life or something challenging that, that I don't know what to do with, uh, I, I want to rub the bottle, have genie Jesus pop out and say, can I grant you three wishes? And I say, yes, I, I want you to solve this problem that's ahead of me. I want you to give me nice, long, flowing hair <laughs> that I can ride when I'm riding in my, my bike and feel in the wind. I don't really want that. And I, I would like you to give me three more wishes so that I can always have all the wishes that I want. That's often how I interact with Jesus and sometimes how many of us interact with Jesus because we want to force him into our little box. But Jesus says, listen, I don't fit in a box. I won't fit in your boxes. I didn't come to be your earthly king. I didn't come to, to, to do all the things that you want me to do exactly when you want me to do them. I came to do way more for you than you can ever imagine. So don't try to force me to be your earthly king. The next day, the people came back to see Jesus and he said to them in verse 26, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about the perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the son of man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, well, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And listen to what Jesus said in verse 29. He said, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Jesus didn't say, hey, this is your opportunity to impress God with your really good behavior. Like, this is your chance. If you'll just you know, do all the right things, then you'll be able to really impress God. Jesus said, there's only one work. There's only one thing that God wants from you. That's belief. Belief in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That is the most significant thing that you could ever do in your entire lives. Now, in that one sentence... Jesus addresses a wrong belief that thousands of people had back then and millions of people still have today. There are way too many people 
that think that our relationship with God is based on our good works, the good things that we do. Like if we pray over our meals or occasionally, if we attend church, whether that's occasionally or every Sunday, if we help little old ladies across the street, we think God's gonna be so impressed with us and is gonna give us gold stars by our name and welcome us into eternity when we pass from this life into the next. That's not how it works. There's nothing wrong with those things. Those are great things. But those things will not grant us a relationship with God. Those things don't get us into a relationship with God. The only way to start a relationship with God is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and understanding what he has done on the cross for us. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 64, 6. He said, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, when when we try to show off the good things that we have done, they're nothing but filthy rags. So the reality is, there's nothing that we can do for God that will get us into a relationship with God. There's nothing that we can do and say, hey, God, like I've earned it. Like, look at what I've done. Look at what I've been through. Look at what I've done for you. Like now, don't I earn a relationship with you? Again, that's not how that works. Good works matter only after we have a relationship with Jesus. That's when good works matter. Only the stuff that we do for Christ and through Christ is the stuff that will matter for all of eternity. So after we have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus, based upon what he's done on the cross for us, then we should live in response to what he's done. Then, yes, should we pray? Absolutely. Should we attend church? Yes, not to get you know, attendance records, but so that it'll grow us in our relationship with God and other people. Should we help little, little old ladies across the street? Absolutely, we should do that stuff. Why? Because we have Jesus living inside of us and we're living in response to what he has done for us. So again, we can't get that backwards. And too many people get that backwards. Too many people think, oh, my good behavior will impress God and he'll grant me a relationship with him forever. That's not true. It's belief in Jesus that does that. And then once we truly believe in him, we should start living like him. That's how that works. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. But listen to what the people said to Jesus in verse 30. They said, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you, Jesus. Like, what can you do? Like, I'm wondering, like, did you forget about yesterday? Were you not here yesterday when Jesus fed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch? Like, did you miss that? Or did you already forget about that? It's so funny to me to to read this story in stories like this. And I think, like, those people are crazy, until the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder and says, yeah, you're a lot like them. Yeah, you do the same stuff. God shows up and does something amazing in your life and then you celebrate for a few days, a few hours, maybe a few minutes and then sometimes you want the next miracle, the next thing. You're looking for what God can do next or what you want him to do next. But the truth is, if all Jesus ever did for us was die so that we could have eternal life, that would be enough. That'd be enough for all of eternity. No matter how good or how bad our lives here on this earth would be or could be, you won't be in heaven, if you're a believer, for more than one second and look back and say, Jesus, your death on the cross was enough. 
It was more than enough. But here's the amazing thing about God is he does more. He wants to bless us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to give us abundant life. But if you're a Christ follower, are you thanking God for the last thing he did? Or are you impatiently waiting for the next thing that you want him to do? We need to remember what he's done and be so grateful for what he's done and still knowing that he will still work in our lives, but we need to remember what he's done for us. In verse 35, Jesus takes time to explain this miracle of feeding 5,000 people. So here's his explanation in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Verse 41 says, then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Like we know his father and his mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? Jesus knew what they were saying. And so he changes the tone of the conversation completely. In verse 53, he says, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, but will live forever. Then verse 66 says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. I think many of us would do the same thing. If we were in that spot, I think there'd be many of us they would hear what Jesus is saying and say like, well, that's just a little too weird, Jesus. You just crossed the line when you started talking like a vampire. Like, like that, that's enough. We can't take that anymore. And so thousands of people stopped following Jesus in that moment. Verse 67 says, then Jesus turned to the 12, which is his 12 closest disciples, and he asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. I love Peter's response there. And I bet in that response, Peter was saying, like, Jesus, like, we don't really get it. Like, the whole vampire thing, like, we, we don't understand that. It's not even Halloween and, like, you're a little early. Like, we don't get what you're saying. But where else are we going to go? Like, we know who you are. You're God in the flesh. So even when it's difficult, even when it's challenging, even when we don't understand what you're doing, 
Like, we can't turn away to anybody else. There's no other legitimate option. I think that might have been part of what was going on in Peter and his disciples' minds, because they certainly didn't understand at that moment what Jesus was saying and what he was doing. The reality is, sometimes for all of us, it's difficult to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's really challenging. Again, sometimes he allows tests or things to happen in our lives that stretch our faith, and it's really difficult. It's really tempting to say, well, if this is what it means to follow you, well, then I might as well go somewhere else. I might as well go try to follow somebody else or try to follow my own resources. Maybe I would do better. So we could be tempted to do that. But just like Peter said, the only legitimate option is to follow Jesus even when we don't understand what he's doing. So will you keep following Jesus even when you don't understand what's happening in your life, why he's allowing something in your life? Will you keep following or will you be tempted to walk away just like thousands of other people have done that? Many people ask the question, why would Jesus have this really weird conversation knowing that it would push people away? Why would he do that? I mean, he had such great momentum of thousands of people coming to him. Why would he, in this moment, go off script and push a bunch of people away? There's several thoughts behind that. The first is this. He was testing people to find out who his true followers were going to be. Again, uh, many of those people were excited to be around Jesus because they wanted him to fit in their box. They wanted him to be their earthly king, their Jesus as a genie in a bottle. And when he said, like, yeah, I'm not going to operate that way, they said, I don't know that I want that. I don't know that I want that kind of relationship with you. I actually want you to do what I've asked you to do. And Jesus said, yeah, that's not why I'm here. I'm going to do something way more significant for you than what you want right now. So those people were given a test by Jesus. They failed the test in that moment. They, they didn't reach out to him and say, Jesus, like, we, like the disciples, don't understand. We don't know what you're saying, what you're doing, but we need your help to walk us through this test that you've given us. So they walked away. They were tested, and they failed in that moment. Another uh, idea for, for why Jesus did what he did was that Jesus was using something physical to explain something spiritual. And Jesus often did that. He was the master of that. He healed a blind man to explain the difference between spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. He talked to a woman at a well about the difference between physical thirst and spiritual thirst. And here in this moment, he's talking to these people about their need for physical food. Like they all got it. If they didn't eat, they were going to be hungry. They would starve. And he leverages that to talk to them about their need for spiritual food. That spiritual food was about a relationship with him. And so he symbolically says, listen, like you get it. You know you have to eat like basically three times a day. And you need to eat spiritually if you're going to live spiritually. And the way you eat spiritually is by starting a relationship with me and then growing that relationship with me. Again, Jesus leveraged physical things to teach spiritual things all the time, even when many people didn't get it until Later, And I think he's still doing that today. I think that's why he recorded this story for us today, 2,000 years later, to talk about our spiritual need for him. So Jesus is still leveraging physical things to teach spiritual things. Now, I'm going to ask you, 
several questions out of this encounter. And I encourage you, as I do this, to identify your question. Like there just might be one question for you that you need to really process and try to answer today in the service or maybe answer later today or this week. And I encourage you to look for your question. So here's question number one. Do you need God to provide for you in some way? Do you need God to provide something? Are you in physical need of something? Like, are you struggling to pay the bills right now? Struggling to, to pay your mortgage, struggling to pay your rent, struggling to, to pay for the food that you might need? Like, do you need a, a job and maybe not just a job? Do you need a career to help you uh, in your life? Do you need physical healing because of some medical issue that you're going through? Do you need direction? Like, do you need God to provide for you? Provide for something in your life. Now, I love the reality of Jesus in this encounter. He recognized that thousands of people following him that day needed food, physical food. And he could have said to them, like, listen, those of you who didn't bring your, your, uh, your lunch with you like this little boy did, you're going to go hungry because I'm going to preach a little bit longer and you're going to get hungry. He could have said that, but he didn't. He saw their physical need. He said, I'm going to meet their physical need and I'm going to leverage that for a spiritual reason. But he cared about their physical needs. God cares about your physical needs. Whatever physical need you have right now, right now he cares about that. And Jesus actually tells us in the Lord's Prayer, he says, ask God to meet your needs. God knows what your needs are, but he wants to hear from you what you think your needs are. He wants to meet your needs. May not be the way that you want. May not meet your wants and your greatest desires, but he will certainly meet your needs. He will give you exactly what you need. So if you have a need right now, talk to God about that need. I think he wants to meet that need. He wants to leverage that for spiritual reasons in your life. So do you need God to provide for you in some way? Second question. How are you responding in your test? So I don't know what you're going through, but there's a test involved. And I don't know if you're right now like me sometimes complaining, like, I can't believe I'm in another test. This isn't fair. Can't believe God would test me like this. Like, you can complain. You could try to do it on your own resources. You could try to steal somebody's lunch and you know, see if that'll help you pass your test. Or you can turn to God for help when you're walking through your test. Like, how are you responding? We all respond in one of those ways. So right now, as you walk through your test, the test giver is available to you. The test giver says, yeah, I'm available. I'm giving the test, allowing the test. If you just come see me, I'll be like Trent's Spanish teacher in high school, and I will help you out with the test, with the answers. But you got to turn to me for that, and I'll guide you through that. So how are you responding in the test that you may be facing? Third question. Are you trying to force Jesus to be your earthly king? Are you trying to force him into your little box of how you expect God to operate in your life? I mean, even if you've made Jesus your eternal king, we can still be very tempted to try to force Jesus into our little boxes. And yet, Jesus doesn't fit in a box. He won't fit in any of our boxes. And so, will you let him truly be your eternal king? and work in your life the way that he wants to work and let him have complete control over your life? Will you do that? Or will you try to force him to be something he never intended to be? Next question. Is Jesus your 
bread of life. He said he is the bread of life, but he is your, is he your bread of life? Have you made him your personal Lord and Savior? Have you gotten to a spot in your life where you said, you know what, like, I can't do this life on my own. Like, I can't pass these tests. I just can't do that. Like, I need you, Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. You're the savior who died so I can live. And I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and savior. If you've never made that decision, like, that would be the greatest thing that you could ever do in your life, the greatest decision you could ever make. And you could make that decision today, right here, right now, on campus, in a middle school cafeteria, or watching online, wherever you are. You could make that decision. It would radically change your today and your forever. If you refuse to make that decision, if you say, you know what, like, I don't get it. I don't get following Jesus, what that means, like the whole bread of life thing, that's confusing. Don't understand that. I'm just going to walk away. Like, if you walk away and reject Jesus for all of eternity, you will spend eternity experiencing eternal hunger and eternal death apart from a God who loves you. That's a reality for people who reject Jesus for all of eternity. God doesn't want that to happen. That's why he provided us the bread of life. So have you eaten of that bread? Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, today would be a great day to do that. During our, our final song would be an amazing time for you to tell God you need him. Tell him you've sinned and you need him as a savior and ask him to be your savior. He will respond and he'll step into your life and be your eternal king. Final question. And I see that our TV has turned off. So our final question is this. Have you walked away from God because following him has gotten hard or confusing? You know, we have the opportunity when we're following Jesus in a relationship with him to keep following, even when it's challenging. So we could be like his disciples in this moment. So like, Jesus, like, we don't get it. We don't understand the bread of life thing. We don't understand what you're saying, what you're doing. Like, we don't get it, but we're not going anywhere. We have no other legitimate option. We're going to stay right here with you and let you teach us what you need to teach us. Or you can walk away. Say, ah, that's too hard. It's too confusing. So we can stay like Jesus' disciples, or we can walk away like the many who deserted him. If you've walked away, if you've been tempted to walk away, today would be a great day to say, Jesus, I'm coming back. Amen. Like, you're the only legitimate option. You can't find anything else out there. You can't find anyone else that's going to lead you towards truth. It's not available. It's, it's not possible. But Jesus always says, hey, if you've walked away, come on back. Come on back. He will accept you back and he will guide you again in your life. So have you been tempted to walk away because following Jesus has gotten hard? So I don't know which of those questions stands out for you, but I'm sure there's one of them. I encourage you to talk to God about that question and what you need to do based upon your answer and the answer he provides you as well. If you need to have a conversation uh, after the service today. I encourage you to stop by our care table before you leave. We've got some amazing people there who would love to help you in any way that we can. I'll be in the lobby as well. I'd love to meet you. If you're new, I'd love to, to have a conversation with you and welcome you to our church family. If you're watching online and you need a conversation or you need to pray with someone, just email us at care at theepicchurch.com and we would love to engage that with you as well. So I wanna pray 
And then our worship team is going to close us in a, a powerful song about being grateful to God for what he's done. So process these questions that we've talked about. Process this encounter and how this encounter can still impact your life today. And then spend a few minutes being grateful for what God has done for us. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing. Lord, what a powerful encounter captured for us in scripture. Lord, in this encounter, we see thousands of people who interacted with you, Jesus, and yet that interaction didn't transform them because they didn't hang out long enough to encounter you. But your disciples did. Your disciples stayed put in a moment when they were confused. They didn't know exactly what you were doing, why you were doing it, what it meant. But Peter was honest, said, Lord, we don't really know what's happening here in this moment, but we trust you. We know who you are. Like we don't have any other options, no one else to turn to. So even in those challenging moments, we're gonna stay right here. So Lord, in this crowd, I'm sure there are some who have been tempted to walk away because following you has gotten hard. But following you sometimes gets difficult. You know that. You told us that, Jesus. You told us that following you would be challenging, would be difficult. It's a narrow path, a narrow road, and only a few people ever find it. But that path, that road leads to eternal life. So Lord, I pray for those who are in a season of testing right now. They're struggling. They're tempted to turn away from you. They're tempted to sit and complain about the test that they're facing. Lord, I pray that they would turn to you as the tutor of the tests that you give, that we would turn to you and get the help that we need for every step of the way. And Lord, there just might be some people here today on campus or online who've never made you the bread of their life. Lord, I pray that right now in this moment, again, on campus or online, that they would just pause and, and acknowledge, Jesus, I need you. They would admit that they're, they're sinners, they've done things wrong, and they would believe in you, Jesus, and what you did on the cross so that we can have eternal life. And they would ask, Jesus, will you come into my heart as my Lord and Savior? And I'm so grateful to know that you, Jesus, stand at the door of all of our hearts and you knock and you just wait for us to open the door and invite you in. And if anybody does that today, you will step into their lives and you will be their eternal king. So Lord, I pray for those who might need to make that decision today. Thank you for being a God who loves us, who provides for us, who cares for us, who helps us through every test that we face in life. Thanks for loving us the way that you do. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.